Well, hello there. It's Anthony here from the Wrong Station team, just to give a little preamble in case you missed the credits from last week. This is the second last episode of Season 3 of the Wrong Station, the last episode being two weeks from now, and after that we'll just be taking a little hiatus until we start Season 4 in October. Though if you still have a hankering for some scary stories in the meantime, have no fear, as in September we will be launching Wrong Station Presents, which will be Patreon-exclusive content. There will be a bit more information on that when the next episode comes out, as well as on Patreon itself when the content drops. Finally, just wanted to mention that there is a bit of echo in today's story, just as we figure out a new recording space, but in my opinion, it's still a real crackerjack of an episode. So, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Crimson and Turquoise. Wonder-working power in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into... The Wrong Station. Once there were twin sisters from a poor family in Aracosia. They were average in all respects, neither tall nor short, neither stupid nor brilliant, neither ugly nor beautiful. Because they were poor and had no special talents, when their father died, they knew they faced a difficult life. After they had brought his body to the Tower of Silence, a drew, a spirit of deception, flew down to them in the form of a vulture. As it descended, its ruffling feathers transformed into silks of sable and red. It landed in the form of a queen, tall, beautiful, and wise. My children, she said, why do you weep? One of the girls said, because our father has died. But the other girl said nothing. And the druf said, my girls, you must come with me and I will take care of you. I will build you a palace in the desert. I will bring you honeyed figs, silks to wear, and lysome suitors. You will have everything. But if you remain, your life will be hardship and toil, and you will have nothing. And the sister who had spoken was about to agree when the silent sister finally gave voice. And what do you ask in return, she said. The druch shook her head at the question, as though saddened by a small, suspicious mind. My child, she said, who made you so mistrustful? I ask almost nothing in return. A small inconvenience and quickly mended. The first sister said, that doesn't sound so bad. But the silent sister said, say what you mean. The druch sighed and making eye contact with the first sister, rolled her eyes as if it was the two of them together against her twin. The first sister giggled. 
Well, said the druch, let me answer your question with another question. Do you like my eyes? She fluttered her eyelids, and indeed, beneath long lashes, her eyes were flawless gemstones of Persian turquoise, as blue as the sky before dawn. Wouldn't you love to have eyes like these? And the sisters, whose eyes were a common and unremarkable shade of brown, both had to agree. Then it's good news all around, said the druch, because in order to come with me, all I ask is that you accept a pair of beautiful new eyes to go with your beautiful new life. You want to take our eyes, said the silent sister. No, stupid, said the first sister. Weren't you listening? She wants to give us new ones. What a clever girl, said the druch. The first sister beamed. I say no, said the silent sister. I say never. A cold look passed over the face of the druch, but it was quickly replaced by a mask of sorrow. I'm disappointed to hear that, she said. But she turned to the first sister with a brightening glance. What about you, darling, she said. Don't do it, said the silent sister. Don't tell me what to do, said the first sister. Then turning to the druch, she said, I accept. Overjoyed, the druch spread her arms and embraced the first sibling, aiming a revolting grin at the second. When the embrace ended, the first sister emerged smiling from that silken bosom, though her cheeks gleamed with crimson tears. Her old eyes were gone. Her new ones shone blue and beautiful like the sky before dawn. The second sister fell backwards with a hand across her mouth, too late to do or say anything. Like a dancer, the druch whirled on its heel, transforming back into a magnificent vulture. Seizing the first girl in her talons, it took to the air, and as it did, the girl's rags transformed into blossoming silks of turquoise and red. A great wind arose, and the silent twin stood, sheltering her eyes from the dust, as her sister was borne away. It was the last they would see of each other for many years. After that, life became hard for the silent sister. She went hungry, sleeping on the bare, cold rocks at the desert's edge. She was hunted by wild animals and tempted by evil spirits in the dark of night. When she fled to the city for shelter and food, she was utterly poor and treated like an animal. Yet she persevered. Knowing true hardship, she was careful with money. But unblinded by greed, she was never cheap. In time, she made a small place for herself in the world and built a family and a community. She fed those who could not feed themselves and did her best for the cause of truth. Decades passed, and the time came when she knew she had made a good life but knew also that she had left one thing unfinished. Leaving her loved ones behind, but promising to return, she set out into the desert to find her twin. But in all this time, the first sister had lived a very different life. As she first soared over the desert under the vulture's wings, the new turquoise eyes felt cool and fresh in her head, and it did not occur to her to ask the druch what had become of her real eyes, from the dun, dry distance, she caught a far-off gleam, and as the vulture descended again, a golden palace began lifting itself from the sands. Radiant domes and pillars of turquoise soared above the waist. Streamers of crimson silk belied like sails on the desert wind, 
Gardens unfurled, gardens running with water, wine, and cold, quenching milk between date palms and dripping terraces of honeycomb. The Druf set her down at the end of an avenue paved with black courts, and behold, a golden chariot drawn by night-black horses awaited her pleasure, and the groom was a lithe young man, his skin supple with oil. My queen, he said, when the first sister landed, and kissed her slippered foot with an open mouth. See, said the Drew, as the chariot bore them down beneath the shade of palms and pillars, everything is as I said it would be. If your sister had just been more open-minded, she could have shared in this. Then the Drew smiled her wicked smile and bent low beside the girl's ear. But between you and me, I'm glad it was only you. You were always the smart one, the lovely one, the one who deserved this. At this, the first sister smiled, and her chest swelled, and her back became proud. If she had only the wisdom to listen to me, she said, this could have been hers as well. But then she matched the spirit's wicked grin with one of her own and said, But between you and me, I'm glad things worked out this way. I was always the smart one, and to be honest, the pretty one. Really, my sister deserved none of this. And at that, the Drew smiled wider, and the girl did not notice how her teeth were sharp like vultures' beaks. What a perceptive girl, said the Drew. For years, the first sister dwelt in the palace, where her every desire was indulged. She had pomegranates, nectars, and sugared wine, she had slave boys for her pleasure, and satin robes that never stained, and a body that would not age or fatten, no matter how she gorged herself upon sweet things. From time to time, the druk would bring her villains from the desert, so she could exercise her power and righteousness, having them beheaded by golden axes or flogged by silken strops. If the druk ever gathered up the bodies of the dead and flew them to her den in the palace roof, the first sister paid no heed. From time to time, the Drew would come and pay her compliments and stroke her hair and say how beloved she was. At such times, the first sister would always notice some lovely thing about the Drew that she had not observed before. Was your hand always articulated so from flawless turquoise, she would say? Or else, was your ear ever thus cast of perfect gold? Was your breast always carved from smooth ivory tapering to a garnet tip? And were your shapely calf and foot shaped of lapis lazuli before? And every time she asked such a question, the Druf would say, Why, of course. Would you like to have such hands or ears or such a jeweled breast or such a cool curved calf? And every time, of course, the first sister would say, Of course. And in her generosity, the Drew would make it so. More years passed like this. The new limbs were heavy, so the first sister had her grooms bear her from place to place on a palanquin. From time to time, the Drew would say to her, Oh, aren't you tired of this groom? Or, did you see how that slave boy looked at you? And the first sister would say, Away with him! And the Drew would bear them up to the palace roof. In time, the woman had too few grooms to bear her, 
And so she spent her days on a golden throne and had all things brought to her, a life blissful and unchanging. Until one day, a figure darkened from the billow of desert sands. For months, the silent sister had traversed the waste. She had not found any evidence of her sister, no matter where she went, no matter which nomad she asked at which caravansary. But eventually, she arrived at a place where she found no evidence. A desolation where nothing lived at all and there was no one to ask but some disjointed bones bleaching in the sand. She decided that this, then, must be the right place. And so she set out into the dunes. After days of hard travel, the desert shimmered in the distance, and from the white erg she saw rising domes and golden colonnades, green gardens, crimson fruit upon the trees, and a turquoise sky. But as she looked upon the palace, a wind blew up, and a bit of sand lodged in the corner of one eye, as she closed it to rub away the grit. Her other eye saw things for how they truly were. A cold revulsion slithered up her spine, though the air boiled over the sand and salt flats. She opened up her second eye, and everything was beautiful again. Two night-black stallions danced along the crystal path, Drawing a golden chariot, an oiled groom stood at the reins, and his bronzed muscles shone in the sun. She closed her second eye to see his true form, and regretted it immediately. My lady awaits you, said the groom. Then I will go to her, said the second sister. With both eyes open, she set her jaw and held her breath, and climbed into the chariot. The rain snapped and the wheels rattled below her feet, though the road beneath them looked so crystal smooth. A soft breeze wafted from the gardens as they went, and under its scent of honey and flowers, some other odor lingered, sickly sweet and dusty, but only ever barely caught. She passed between the pillars, dismounting underneath the span of a monumental arch. Its shadow tumbled over her as she entered the palace hall. There, between the pools of mercury where swam the artificial fish, between the shady trees where strange birds flashed their shining wings, the first sister awaited her, seated on a gold and turquoise throne, while the druch lounged to one side, supping on a tray of dates. Wanting to appear magnificent for the occasion, the first sister had had the druch sleeve one of her arms from scapula to fingertips with woven agate-studded silver thread. She had waited many years for her sister to come and intended to revel in the moment. But when her silent, long-lost twin appeared at the other end of the hall, the first sister felt a pang of pity. For while she on her throne was as young and smooth-skinned as ever, Age had withered the silent sister, as it withers us all. While the first sister went gowned in damask and gossamer, the silent sister wore only the rags of a desert wanderer. Where the first sister had eyes of sempiternal turquoise, the silent sister had only her same tired, mud-brown eyes, and one of them kept winking. The silent sister came to a halt before the throne, and the eyes that gazed up at her twin were full of tears. There, there, sister, said the first twin with a moo of pity. 
I know it must be difficult to see me like this while you live like that, but you've come at last, come to the right place where we can help you. The silent sister did not respond, but turned instead to the Drew. What have you done to her, she said. I, said the Drew, using sensuous fingers to pull a date pit from her crimson lips, haven't done anything to her. It's true, said the first sister. Since the moment we first met, the Drew has been nothing but a kind companion and wise counselor. The silent sister let a slow breath slide from her lungs. Still speaking only to the Drew, she said, You're right, aren't you? She did all this to herself. The Drew only smiled, sucking down another date. Sister, said the first twin, what are you talking about? The silent sister turned and seemed about to speak when an insight came to her, and she closed her mouth instead. Nothing, she said after a moment's thought. Ignore me. I'm only jealous. Well, said the first sister, waving a turquoise hand, I suppose you would be. Sister, said the silent twin, word of your generosity has spread throughout the desert. In every town and oasis, they say no queen alive has greater charity than you. Well, of course they would say that, said the first sister. It's the truth. Isn't that right, Drew? But the Drew didn't seem to hear. She was staring at the silent sister with narrowing eyes, tearing the flesh from a large and meaty date. She chewed with her mouth open, and dark fluids dribbled down her pointed chin. Though the silent sister knew this spectacle was meant to unnerve her, she ignored it and began to climb the dais steps towards her sister's golden throne. Since you have so much to give, the silent sister said, and I am so poor and downtrodden, I was wondering if I might ask a favor. That is, if it's in your power to grant. The first sister scoffed. All things are in my power, she said, and I shall deign to help my poor pathetic twin. Ask me. Taking another step so she stood at her sister's knee, the silent twin said, I was wondering, just for a second, just to see what it was like, would you let me see through one of your eyes? The Drew surged to its feet. Don't listen, it shouted. It's a trick. But the silent sister laughed, shaking her head. I should be so lucky, she said. I could never fool my sister. She was always the smart one. She's right, Drew, said the first sister with a patronizing smile. There's a reason I'm up here and she's down there. The Drew wolfed down another date. She no longer looked so beautiful. Her silk robes were beginning to resemble ruffled vultures' wings. You fool, said the Drew. Can't you see she's manipulating you? The first sister flushed with anger and without another word turned back to her sibling, pulling one turquoise eye from its socket. At the same time, with a steadying breath, the silent sister raised clawed fingers to her own eye and dug them in. A wet sucking sound echoed in the distant spaces of the hall, followed by a small pop. Red tears ran. The silent twin let slip a single gasp of pain. The droog broke into raucous vulture laughter. The first sister flinched at the sight and reached forward, offering the turquoise orb. 
But the silent sister did not take the offered eye. Instead, she grasped her sister by the wrist, pulling her down and forward. At the same moment, she wrapped the rough, bloody fingers of her other hand around her sister's crowned head, using the thumb to plunk her own ragged red eyeball into her sister's empty socket. The first sister shrieked and fell back. She blinked several times. The new eye stung. And then she opened it and saw. Reality. She tumbled away from the chair, which was no throne, but the lap of a bloated corpse that leaned against the wall. She shrieked again as she slid, not down marble steps to the edge of a silver pool, but down a sand slope into tainted water where no mechanical fish swam, but only the vile larvae of bloated desert flies. She tried to stand but couldn't. She had no lapis leg or turquoise hand, just grimy wooden pegs. That arm that had been sleeved with silver was bare, bare down to the drying inner tendons and bones. She moaned, unable to free herself from the slime, and as the water stilled below her, she saw her true reflection for the first time in years. She had grown old. She was hideous to look upon. She had one brown eye, one withered breast, a hunger-bloated belly, and a mouth of scurvy-rotted teeth. She had given away her body. She was a stump, swaddled in greasy rags. She began to scream and weep. A pair of strong arms lifted her from the mire and held her close, rocking back and forth. It was her sister. After all those years and all she had done, it was her sister. She let herself go and wept for what a fool she'd been. In time, exhaustion overcame grief, and the twins stood together in silent embrace. A polite cough shattered the reverie. They looked up. The droof was perched upon what had seemed to be the throne. Gone were its silks and cosmetic smile. Now, it was a thing half-human, half-vulture, embodying only the vilest aspects of both. On the platter discarded by its feet lay not a heap of dates, but a pile of balled-up scraps of skin from the first sister's peeled arm. Well, how wonderful, said the Drew. You tricked your sister into seeing the truth, and you finally saw what's been happening after all these years. I suppose I should be grateful. You've given me so very much to eat. The droop darkened and grew, until its now empty eyes yawned like the grave, and its black wings spread like the arches of a sepulchre. But, said the droop, what will you do now? Do you think you can escape me? Bow down and I might let you live. Give up your eyes and I may not tear you limb from limb. In the silent sister's arms, the mutilated twin shivered, terrified, helpless. But the silent sister just stared into the drew, the way someone peers into a darkened room to see if there is anything inside. At last, the silent twin said, No. No? screamed the drew. No, said the silent sister. I'm not afraid of you. You cannot hurt us. Believe me, 
cackled the Drew, beating its wings so the sand roared around them. I can do more than hurt you, and if you don't do as I say, I will. The silent sister laughed. Liar, she said. I am no liar, howled the Drew, and lowered over them until its carrion-rending beak was inches from their eyes. No, said the silent sister. You're less than a liar. You're a lie. I will drink the milk from your bones, shrieked the Drew. But the silent sister reached out, and behold, where they should have touched the Drew, her fingers passed instead through empty air. There's no truth in you, said the silent sister, and that makes you nothing. And the Drew was gone. The sisters stood alone in an empty ruin. The sun was still shining outside. Here, there were no gardens or turquoise pillars, only a shallow salt flat between two dunes, puddled with brackish standing water. A ruined caravansary sagged behind them, half buried in the sand. No crimson banners flowed on the wind, only rags that snapped from skeletal bodies twisting in crows' cages. There had been a chariot here before, gilded and drawn by black horses at the hands of a muscled groom. Now they saw the truth. A starved mule and a broken cart were a blind mummy hunched at the reins. And it was horrible, but it was the truth. And it was better because it was the truth. They took the mule with them and returned across the desert. And when they arrived back at the city, the Silent Sisters' family and friends welcomed her twin like she was a queen returning to her own palace. In time, the First Sister learned to return their love and became a thoughtful person who did the best she could for others. And so it was, by the long route and the longer one, that both sisters became wise. The third season of The Wrong Station ends this August the 18th, and you can help make our next season even bigger by supporting us on Patreon. There are great benefits right now for as low as $1 a month, and lots of exciting extra content planned for the near future. This week's episode, Crimson and Turquoise, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Ashley White. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time... Thank you for listening.